Welcome back, everyone. It's probably been about a month, but we are back for an episode of BAMS Radio here tonight. Uh, I'm your host, Drew Yarman, along with co-host and producer extraordinaire, Thomas the Wizard Watts. Also, our favorite compatriot, William Redfish Barger, is with us tonight. Uh, he's, of course, a 1993 graduate of the University of Alabama. Uh, and from 89 to 93, a big part of the University of Alabama and the Crimson Tide football program, a national champion with that group, the Centennial team, my personal favorite. Uh, and got a chance to catch up with his good friend and former teammate, Martin Houston, recently, who uh, was the speaker for our North Alabama Tide fans group. And, uh, of course, one of my two favorite fullbacks, along with Kevin Turner. But, William, uh, great to speak with you again. I hope things are well. Uh, and it's uh, and, I, and I know uh, you had a situation with your family. Glad that's uh, you know working. Uh, that's looking much better. But great to have you on the show again tonight. How are you? I'm doing good, Drew. It's uh, good to be uh, be able to talk some ball for, uh, with what's been going on the last week or so. So I'm I'm looking forward to tonight. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we've got two scrimmages down and a day, and we all know a day is basically just for show. Uh, this last week of practices will be more about uh, continuing to hash out and uh, develop you know, a, a sense of where this team is going into fall camp and give them an idea of a depth chart uh, certainly won't be fully decided. But I will say this, uh, from uh, the buzz coming from the scrimmages, one of the most interesting things, and you're not going to be surprised because you've been, you know, championing him since he was signed, and I certainly did as well because I saw him play. And that's where that, that's where the rubber meets the road sometimes. A lot of these, a lot of fans – when they are when they're looking at recruiting, they only go by the star rankings a lot. They don't watch them play live, or and they and they only watch just a little bit of film. They don't really delve into the into the young man's ability. But it's obvious, and we both agreed that DJ Dale was extremely underrated coming out of Clay Chalkville High School. He was a you know a physical freak and a guy that had freaky athleticism. Was even played running back and goal line situations for True Gilmer and the uh, and the Cougars and. He hasn't taken long, William, in enrolling early. He he definitely looks like at this point in time he is going to be the starter at the nose position, already bypassing a guy going into his third year on the squad in Federian Mathis. But I swear, if you saw DJ Dale on the field, you'd swear Deron Payne was back in Tuscaloosa, which has got to make Alabama fans feel good for the next at least three years for that young man. Well, I, I think it's, you know, great timing as well. I mean, when you look at the, you know, consecutive back-to-back losses of, of Deron Payne and Quentin Williams, you know, leaving early, you know, two year, two seasons in a row for the NFL draft, it's, you know, you know, medicine that was well needed. And, uh, you know, that just goes to show you how talented and over, over, or excuse me, underrated DJ Dell was as a recruit, that he's been able to come in and basically with, you know, three weeks of spring practice, um, you know, it looks like he's already about to overtake, like you said, a guy going into his third year on campus in Pidarian Mathis. And what that tells me is there's going to be some good quality depth um, at the interior defensive line positions. You've got some other guys like Christian Barmore and uh, Stephon Wynn that will factor in down there as well. So, um, you know, I think that's great news. And, and it just goes to, uh, you know, how good Nick Saban is at these uh, – you know, evaluations, especially when you get the kids live on campus um, at those summer camps. I remember um, last summer, um, you know, it kind of trickling out that, that Dale had, you know, just put on probably maybe the, the, the best, you know, camp performance of any defensive line prospect of the Nick Saban era. And, yes, that includes Marcel Darius and all the other names you're familiar with. And yeah. And couldn't I, find an offensive 
they couldn't find an offensive lineman that was there uh, that could handle them, and that, that included Clay Webb. So, um, you know, I, I think this guy's – you know, but when you look at the situation group, I, I think the main two, main two reasons why he was underrated going into his senior year, and I thought they probably should have made some corrections there with the type of senior season he had, but it was coming off of an injury um, his junior year and let his weight get a little bit out of control. Um, got back into really good shape for his senior year, and, and you know, I think this guy's – you know, especially with another, um, you know, four to five months in the strength and conditioning program, this guy can you know, have a big, big impact, um, you know, for the 2019 season. And I think you make a great point, William, about Fedarian Mathis. Some take it as a slight and, or you know, and, and, he, and I, from what I hear, I don't think he performed all that great yesterday in the scrimmage. But, as you said, he did look good toward the end of last season and at the very least should provide quality depth at that nose position because he's seen a lot of playing time already. And when, and when you start hearing that guys like Antonio Alfano, and by the way, for Alfano in his defense, he had a concussion from what I've been able to uh, discern. And that's why he missed the scrimmage last week, which was the red elephant club scrimmage, but he did not appear, but he was on the field yesterday, but with the threes, a lot of times and Christian Barmore was with the threes, uh, you know, just, but to me, that's a good sign that Alabama, I know these are still young players, some true freshmen and some redshirt freshmen, but we've seen Justin and Bogby and he been hearing he's been with the twos and making plays. But we know what kind of freak Antonio Alfano is athletically. But I think that bodes well for the future when you have guys like that on your third team that by the middle of this coming season, I think this defensive line has a chance to be deep and very good. Yeah, and I don't think anybody was really all that concerned with, you know, the starting D-line, you know, going into spring practice. What what I know Coach Saban is really wanting to get back to is that, you know, that deep, deep rotation that he had in 14 and 15 um, where they could platoon guys, you know, they were 9, 10 deep. And uh, like you said, I mean, I, I think this spring and certainly fall camp, the priority is going to be, you know, not the first three or four, uh, but the last three or four. And uh, you know, they they want to get those guys and you know be, be you know three and four deep at every spot. They've certainly got the numbers and, and the uh, the quality of talent you know, level up there on the D line to, to get to that point. You know, I, I said it going into. And I know we were talking about this before we started recording, but you know, I said going into spring practice that you know I felt like easily that the, the biggest glaring weakness. Um, of this defense for 2019, at least for spring practice and fall camp. Uh, it wasn't going to be the defensive line. It wasn't going to be the DBs. It wasn't going to be the edge rushers. It was going to be finding that guy to play Will Linebacker and stand next to Dylan Moses. And it sounds to me like, um, from what you've been hearing, that has continued to be the, the biggest weakness of the 2019 defense in the spring practice. There is no question. Uh, right now, that's the biggest pressure point. I think Dylan Moses can play the mic. He's experienced. He's athletic. Uh, he's a hard worker. I like him a lot. But they're they're having a hard time finding his partner. His partner right now is fifth-year senior Joshua McMillan uh, from Memphis, Tennessee. But Joshua is a guy kind of like a – the best way to put it, and I'm not disparaging him, but it's sort of like Denzel Duvall, who's now in player development for Alabama and working for Nick Saban. He was a program guy, wasn't really explosive athletically, and was going to be in the right spot, but he wasn't a huge playmaker. And I think that's what you've got with Joshua McMillan 
They'd really like young players to step up, and that's really what they're wanting. But they're having a hard time right now because guys like Ale Keho, who missed the first couple of practices, he is back uh, out there and you know made some plays with the threes yesterday, from what I understand. But he's still got a ways to go mentally. Uh, same way with a true sophomore from South Carolina like Jalen Moody. And so far, I, you know, you heard good things about his offseason, but during the spring practice right now, it just looks like uh, that Markel Benton is still not taking that step forward uh, to be, you know, a conscientious guy that they can count on. So uh, it, it's still not, you know, there's still a, good, a long ways to go before the season opener against Duke, but right now they need someone to distinguish themselves among Ale Keho, you know, J- Jalen Moody, uh, and uh, Markel Benton, because those three guys, and then Christian Harris will be there in the fall, but William, we all know, it's very difficult for a true freshman at the University of Alabama, especially a linebacker with the complicated scheme uh, to play, you know, a big role. Certainly they could be a pass rusher uh, or, you know, they could play on pass coverage on third down, stuff like that. But they're needing someone to be, you know, first and second down guy, be that be in the right place and play as far as for the run defense and be able to help get everybody lined up. Dylan Moses will do most of that, but be able to play off of Moses and you can't count on a true freshman that didn't enroll early like Christian Harris, despite the fact I think he's an outstanding athlete. Nick Saban believes he's a future pro. So to me, William, I'll be honest with you, uh, I, a big question also going into spring was tight end. And after watching Cameron Latu, because as we're being with the negative part is the will linebacker, but positively uh, with Cameron Latu and watching the way he's taken to tight end, and he made some plays as a receiver yesterday. He needs to continue to add weight, but I think they found a place for him. I'm not sure he was twitchy enough to be a linebacker at Alabama. I think he's found a spot. And then we always have seen, you know, guys like some walk-on guys, the last one being Levi Wallace that developed into players. We may have had another story, and I had a chance to talk to his parents just then. They're on cloud nine, but he's been a standout so far in the scrimmages and getting a lot of time with the ones as a fullback and tight end, and that's Giles Amos, a fifth-year senior from Perry, Georgia, in Westfield High School, number 40 on your roster. But right now, he's trying to carve out a niche for himself for the fall, and I think with him and Latu stepping up, I think tight end is going to be okay. They've got, they've, of course, they've still got Miller Forrest all set to start. As long as Kedrick James returns, and I've had, and trust me, I've, this is coming straight from Nick Saban, he considers James a starter if he were eligible, he and Deontay Brown, which would be coming after the first month, then I think Alabama will be fine at tight end. And to me, I think we need to watch this summer, William, for Alabama perhaps if they could find the right guy to maybe bring in a graduate transfer inside linebacker. Uh, granted, they wouldn't have played at Alabama, but if they're experienced and played at a high level, uh, if they could find the perfect fit, I wouldn't be shocked if they try to bring somebody in for the fall to play that position if they're com- not completely satisfied with where these young players stand after this next coming week. Yeah, you know, Drew, going back to what you were saying about Markel Benton, um, and there's right. always a handful of guys, I think, in, in every recruiting class, you know, three or four of them, that, man, you know, they, they've got that ranking they, they've got the measurables they've got the the body and, and for whatever reason things just never fall into place for him they never can put it all together I mean he, his situation reminds me so much of 
a guy on the opposite side of the football that might be the prettiest offensive tackle prospect on the, on the team right now in Scott Lashley. Right, um, right. You know, both of those guys have, have flashed at times um, in scrimmages and practice, and you kind of start getting the, you know, the feeling that maybe they're about ready to, to take that next step and put it all together. Um, and, uh, you, you know, I, again, it's just both of them are still young players. They've got time to, you know, put it all together. But, you know, as the clock ticks and the recruiting classes come and go, uh, more and more guys cycle into the program and it becomes more, you know, you kind of get yourself, you know, buried on that depth chart. It's a hard thing to, you know, kind of climb your way out of. Yeah, it really is. And, and uh, with Benton, if, if, uh, if by the end of spring he's only got a week left, if he hasn't distinguished himself, you're you're correct. I mean, I I still think uh, I would still hold out hope for Ale Keho by the fall. We'd have to see what kind of summer he had and if he gets in the film room and starts studying. But certainly, I know Nick Saban has talked about uh, as far as the graduate transfer market. He's even mentioned tight end specifically, and he said another position. I'm only trying to put the pieces together that that other position could be inside linebacker because I think outside one, and this is what everybody was hoping for uh, because he was really high. From what I understand, he was a, definitely a standout uh, in scrimmage number one and uh, had some moments yesterday. But Iyabi Anoma needed to mature. I think that's happening. I think the best thing to happen for his career was Sal Sunseri to come back to Alabama because Sal does not put up with any bullshit. He coaches hard. So did – and Tosh LePoy coached well at outside backer, but I'm, there's just something about Sal. He's a stickler for detail. Uh, Alabama, you know, was very, very productive there when he was here before. He may not be the recruiter that Tosh is, but I'm not saying that. I do think he'll be good enough, though. And I think his taskmaster style is probably going to really help Ayabi. And when you got him, and then you got a guy, you know, like Chris Allen, who's getting back to 100% health. Uh, and, and, you know, and Anthony Jennings, who's always been underrated. And then you'll get Terrell Lewis back because Terrell is taking off the rest of the spring. He had to have his knee scoped, which is not a surprise after the kind of ACL tear he had, some, some scar tissue and some cartilage. He should be fine for the fall. I know I got a message the other day that he was still seen limping at the practice field, but my God, he just had it scoped. Calm down. He's got plenty of time to be healthy and 100% by fall practice. And they know what they have with him. He's an outstanding player. I mean, uh, he, he's had some of the worst injury luck ever. But if he can stay on the field, you know you've got a guy with maybe as good a pass rusher as anybody in college football. So you should feel oh, – and then Kevin Harris has been seeing some reps too, the young freshman from Grayson. So they've got enough guys at outside backer where, you know, they feel pretty good about that. They just have got to develop a will guy. And then, as we've already said, the defensive line, there's a lot of young guys to be molded by Brian Baker. And I think Coach Baker's going to do a fine job at Alabama. So, uh, to me, uh, it just comes down to being able to, to uh, fill a couple roles in the secondary and then uh, and, and at will linebacker. And I think as far as secondary goes, I'll get William's thoughts on this, but so far, one of the surprises of fall, or excuse me, spring practice going into the fall has been a Jared Maiden, who's a senior from Satch East, Texas. And what I've learned under Nick Saban is you never give up on guys. If they stay in the program, eventually they may end up, you know, uh, you know, developing a role for themselves and gaining the trust of the coaches. He had a pick of Tua Tungvaloa yesterday, from what I understand, on a tip pass. Uh, he's had a really good spring so far. 
And I know, you know, that uh, it's well documented Deontay Thompson probably should have stayed in school. But a guy like Maiden has now been given an opportunity. He, along with Josh Job, who had a pick six and then another interception, uh, Josh Job did give up some throws from what I understand, but he's also been a playmaker. So it's just with him getting more and more comfortable with the scheme. And you've got a senior like Maiden who's very comfortable in now with what he's, his responsibilities are. I think with the rest of this secondary returning, it's going to be a strength of this defense. So what you look at is if Alabama can continue to develop that depth Williams talking about on the defensive line and then figure inside linebacker in the will spot out, this still has a chance to be an elite defense. It's not an elite defense right now, but the pieces are there uh, if maybe if uh, if you know they continue to develop in the offseason and then especially and maybe perhaps maybe another addition via the graduate transfer route. But your thoughts, William? You know, you just mentioned two two different players last year that were true freshmen that I thought should have taken opposite routes. Um, and, and granted, I realized that Anoma didn't have a you know a former NFL. Um, player as a father like Marlon Humphrey did, but I, I thought Anoma. It was obvious from day one he should have taken a red shirt, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially right. considering the, you know, the homesickness and, and all the other issues. He just never looked comfortable or ready. But I get it. I mean, you know, they they make play in time promises and they try and you know keep their word. But I, I felt like Josh Job was the opposite. Uh, I, I thought they just basically burn a year um, um, with him, and you know, you saw in you know the the national championship game against some elite wide receivers and elite quarterback. Yeah. He gave up some passes, but man, that guy just competed his ass off. You could tell it bothered him when he didn't make the play. And I just think, you know, he could have been in a position had they, you know, given him reps and games and, you know, and meaningful reps. Um, he probably could have been a difference maker, um, you know, come December and January, but you know, it is what it is. But yeah, I, I do think, um, with all those guys back there, you know, I thought, uh, um, you, you know, you saw last year Shaheen Carter, um, you know, kind of broke out and had a, had a really good season. So, you know, hopefully the same thing will happen with Maiden. But I think they've got so many players back there. Um, you know, depth's not going to be a, a problem. They've got a lot of talent. Um, you know, they're going to go up against, um, you know, one of the best quarterbacks and one of the best wide receiver groups they're going to see all year long every day in practice from now until September. So they're going to continue to get better. Um, you know, I think if you just start looking at this team as a whole, um, you know, one thing that I'm sure Alabama fans aren't real happy to hear about is it seems like the kicking game woes continue. Um, you know, get that get that uh, will linebacker spot sorted out. And like you said, you know, keep your fingers crossed that some guys emerge at tight end. And, you know, this 2019 team is going to be a tough, tough thing to deal with for opposing teams. I'm really excited about you know, where they are right now and where they could be, um, you know, come September. Well, and I, and I can tell you with the kicking game, that they feel pretty good about it right now. Uh, I think Mike Bernier, and he recently did uh, enter the transfer portal, will likely not return in the fall because now, again, he has to do it in games, but Skyward DeLong has looked much better and more consistent in the scrimmages uh, from what I understand, and uh, that's encouraging, uh, you know, when uh, – and, and, you know, and I think he had some, like William said, he, he probably should have been another good kid that was red-shirted, that uh, there was probably just too much put on him as a true freshman and wasn't ready coming out of South Carolina to be the every down, uh, everyday punter from day one. 
Uh, but again, Bernier was serviceable last year after being in the program for, you know, two plus seasons. Uh, and now they, and the good part now is they've got Will Reichert coming in. Reichert has been better than both of us, uh, as far as a place kicker. I saw him last year at Hoover got, he gets outstanding height on his field goals. Uh, does a great job kicking off. I still think there's a possibility that Bullivis could be the kickoff guy, but uh, you know, and help save uh, Reichert's leg. But I think Will Reichert, without a doubt, has got a chance to be the field goal kicker. Yesterday, he made about a 48-yarder. He was just short by a yard or two on a 54-yard attempt, and I think the wind may have caught it. Uh, there was no, you know, he had to kick it into the wind. Uh, but I, he's got plenty of leg strength, and Nick Saban's very confident in him. He all. He also punted yesterday, and so I think he's the backup punter plan, and I think he can be uh, good enough if uh, DeLong has some, you know, it struggles again when the games start. But I think Will Reichert is going to solve a lot of issues, a lot like when J.K. Scott came along. Griffith, you know, was a little inconsistent, but still had a pretty solid career. Uh, J.K. Scott was a four-year stalwart. I think Reichert can have the same kind of impact in the kicking game in the fall uh, now that he's uh, been able to kick for – uh, the spring practice and get you know comfortable uh, with everything, and then I, I think his talent's going to shine through. And then you know they're going to have returners. I mean, my God, punt returner will be Jalen Waddle. He's explosive. A guy like Henry Ruggs can help you in kickoff return. Also, a guy that's really to me coming into his own, and he's really caught the ball well in the two scrimmages and run the ball pretty well too. Jerome Ford, who did get a red shirt last year, so you've got a guy like Jerome Ford and Brian Robinson. I think, you know, they Alabama's got plenty of options at the return game. And so I think well, the kicking game is going to be a strength. Go ahead. Let me let me ask you this, Drew, because I, I got some text messages. It sounds like uh, our buddy Mac Jones channeled his inner Blake Barnett yesterday. Um, have, have, have you seen enough? Does, does baby Tua still look overwhelmed with the whole thing right now? No, I mean, I thought Talia, you know, look, from what I understand, looked pretty good yesterday and, uh, you know, from what I'm hearing, he's – I will freely admit, you know, I he uh, I heard he moved the football well the first scrimmage, but they didn't score any touchdowns. And then yesterday, he didn't have any turnovers, but he made several good throws. Now, Mac Jones did not have a great scrimmage. That is correct. He threw four picks, uh, two uh, through three. But two of them were drops that went right through hands that were picked off by Xavier McKinney. Uh, and then – he also had one tipped that Jared Maiden picked off. But, uh, you know, Mac Jones did not play well. Uh, but I, I still think Nick Saban believes he can be a serviceable backup and that the, probably their best situation would be to redshirt both Paul Tyson and Talia Tungvaloa. But I will say this, and this is what I expected. Paul Tyson's had a couple of moments, but without a doubt, uh, the I think Talia is ahead of him. Uh, you, the only question coming into the to the to uh, spring was how healthy his shoulder would be because he injured it against Hoover near the end of his freshman year, or excuse me, his senior season going into his freshman season of college at Thompson High School before they went to the Super Seven. Now, do I could he possibly have to have a procedure done after spring? Maybe, but his arm looks good enough right now. Uh, he looks like he's not, you know, it's not the moment is not too big for him, and that he's starting to grasp the playbook. But it's still so early. I still think the best bet for Alabama now. The great thing about this new rule is he can play in four games. But the best bet is to have Mac Jones be the backup, Talia Tungvaloa red shirt, Paul Tyson red shirt, and Tua be healthy and have a hellacious junior year before turning professional. And then maybe 
Talia is ready to battle Mac Jones. And, um, and I think, based upon seeing both quarterbacks, you just can't deny a tongue of Valoa's talent. And I think it, it, it wasn't as stark, I will say this, I will, I'll never forget seeing Tua's first scrimmage and just, wow. I mean, you could see it right away. But you still see that potential with Talia. He just has a little bit more maturing to do, uh, certainly, and uh, continuing to reshape his body. But you can tell he has a feel for the position. And in these scrimmages, you don't get a chance to see the quarterbacks really take off and, and move. But they did roll out and move uh, Talia around in the pocket quite a bit. He has that advantage. He's much more mobile than Paul Tyson and really even Mac Jones. And I do think he is the future at the position. I think he's gotten off to a promising start. Uh, but I did think right now, Tua was very good yesterday. I know he had three turnovers, but made some outstanding throws to Henry Ruggs. And so I think you know what you have. But what you need is you, sh- you just need Tua to stay healthy so you can redshirt the other two young guys and, and have Mac Jones as the backup. But again, I do think Talia... I thought he was undervalued in the whole situation. I thought really that people were under were, were not giving him enough credit. They they were too busy trying to compare him to his brother. He's not the same kind of quarterback, but I still think he can be elite in his own right following some more development. Well, and also I think also too, and in, and this this also applies to Paul Tyson. You know, they're having yes. to transition into a, a a totally new offense from what they are used to. Um, you know, with what they, they played in in high school. You know, this, this Steve Sarkeesian 2019 offense, you know, isn't, isn't the RPO, uh, you know, dink and dunk offenses that they played in high school. You know, it's going to be more of a traditional uh, pro-style type offense, probably a little bit more, um, you know, run heavy than what it's been um, the last three or four years at Alabama. And I think that's something that Nick Saban um, is looking for. You know, one thing that, that I have, you know, when you when you see about all these, you know, sacks that Anoma has been racking up in these scrimmages and QB pressures, who's he been picking on? Well, you know, I, it's kind of funny. I know with one of them last week he beat Leatherwood, but Leatherwood's really been really solid so far. Matter of fact, it's kind of yeah, I think everybody the the biggest story that came out of the scrimmage yesterday was the injury to Jedrick Wills, the starting right tackle, and of course. You know how these rumors go. Uh, it turned into a torn Achilles, which absolutely wasn't what the hell happened. I mean, uh, to uh, he went down, and then, you know, they helped him off the field, and he couldn't put weight on it. But trust me, if it was a torn Achilles or an ACL or something, I've been there when that's happened. Uh, they're going, the medical staff is going to be going oh, nuts. Yeah, that's, they, they're going to be the checking. Yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, well, yeah the golf they, cart's coming out for that. Yeah, immediately. I mean, you know, they're getting, it's going to be one of those things where they're, they get him. They lay him down flat on over on the bench. They're doing all these tests and all this stuff, and that was not happening. He sat down. I can just tell everybody what he did. He sat down. The training staff looked him over, and then for ten minutes, William, ten minutes, he sat there, and they just talked, and you know, carried on, and you know, just. And then the cart came out, and he, he got on the cart. And he went back in the locker room. And he never came back. But it was there. There wasn't the sense of urgency in the kind of situation. Uh, there was no angst from Jedrick. I mean, it's. I mean, certainly he was frustrated. He got injured, but he got rolled up and he sprained his ankle. Worst case scenario, it's a high ankle sprain. But he's well, done- and, and people need to realize, Drew. I mean, for somebody that's you know three hundred and twenty pounds. Yeah, no, that's. Um, yeah. And, and it, it depends on you know what degree of a sprain it was. I mean, that that can be a serious injury. I mean, you can oh, miss yeah. you know you know a couple Weeks. months uh, yeah. depending on 
on the severity of it. So yeah, I mean, best, best, best case scenario, it's a much better news than a torn Achilles, but you know, depending on how bad it is, I mean, you may not see him uh, till next fall. And uh, you know, that's, that's not necessarily bad news. You know, he's going to be the starting right tackle. It'll give some other guys some reps there. They'll get a chance to, you know, take a peek at some other guys and see if they can compete at a high level out there at right tackle. So again, I don't view the injury of, of uh, Jedrick Wills as a negative. Um, we all know that, you know, that the best five are not going to be picked until probably after the second scrimmage in August. So, you know, so be it. Yeah, I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, they, uh, when, when, you, when you're looking at it, I mean, there, there, there's no, you know, no way uh, that, uh, that, you know, that they can be seen as a negative. I mean, certainly, I mean, he's probably going to be done for the rest of the spring. I, and, and, that, and that's a little frustrating, but you already know how good Jedrick is. He started all of last year. I mean, he did a very good job. He was having a solid spring. Were they, at, quite frankly, uh, the 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 two sol- most solid positions on the offensive line uh, were the the tackle spots. The left tackle Alex Leatherwood, the right tackle Jedrick Wills. There had been no other shuffling. Now, when he went out yesterday, there was a lot of shuffling. Matt Womack had missed the first the uh, first scrimmage with a shoulder issue. He was back yesterday, and the starting offensive line uh, the week before had been uh, Alex Leatherwood at left tackle. And when I saw that, it was Evan Neal at left guard. And then you had uh, Chris Owens at center, Emil Echior at right guard, and then, of course, Jedrick Wills at right tackle. But the next year, uh, this next week, pardon me, uh, going into this next year, uh, the next week uh, to this week, uh, with Womack returning, uh, it was uh, that you had right tackle Jedrick Wills, left tackle Leatherwood, and then it was a little bit different. Uh, it was Chris Owens at center, uh, and then you had Emil Echior at left guard, and then the right guard was Matt Womack. But the, 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 the most of the shuffling has been at the two guard spots and center, mostly, honestly, with right guard and center, where you've had Chris Owens and Emil Echior rotating at center, and then Deontay Brown at right guard. Uh, but see, Nick Saban has already admitted that cornbread Deontay Brown would be, uh, you know, a starter if he weren't suspended. So that makes me wonder about Matt Womack. Matt Womack, to me, his biggest strength is his versatility. He can play the right right tackle. He did a good job at it two years ago. And then he can play the, the guard spot. I mean, and he's a, he's a guy that's a redshirt junior who missed most of last season, uh, hurt, and he's, a, he's somebody that can, uh, can be a, a guy that can be very versatile when, if somebody were to get injured. But because to, to me, Emil Echior is more talented. I think without question, Deontay Brown is. And even Evan Neal. Evan Neal, to me, is making a big push to be that left guard. The week last who, who, week. Who, this, did they, who did they put in for uh, Jedrick when he went down? Yeah, that's what I was about to say. This is why, this is what I was talking about Alex Leatherwood having, you know, the left tackle spot locked down because when they took out, um, you know, Jedrick Wills. Tommy Brown was in there for a couple of series, and he's technically the backup at right tackle when you watch the twos. But very quickly, they put you know Matt Womack at his old spot. He was at right tackle, and then this is where all the shuffling took place. You had Chris Owens and Echior continue to rotate at center, but um, Emil Echior went also uh, you know was rotating at left guard with Evan Neal, and then you had Emil Echior also 
uh, at the, that right guard spot. Mostly Ekuor played right guard. And then you had, so you had left to right, you had Leatherwood, uh, you had uh, Evan Neal, and then you had uh, Chris Owens, and then Emil Ekior and, and Matt Womack. And so, and then Deontay Brown would come in at, at right guard some too. So there was a lot of right. shuffling. There was really only one guy, and that's Alex Leatherwood, that stayed in the same place once, uh, you know, Jedrick Wills got hurt. And then again, the, net, the week before when Jedrick was healthy, the two tackle spots were solid but they've had a lot of competition, uh, you know, at the garden in the center spots. But I think Nick Saban's happy with that. Matter of fact, I asked Nick Saban about it after the Red Elephant Club scrimmage, and he said he's really pleased with uh, Kyle Flood and the offensive line because he feels like they've got a lot of talent and a lot of guys who can play different positions. And this was with Womack being, you know, banged up. I, I still think he likes it. Uh, but again, and you feel for Womack because he's just been hurt a lot, but I still think he can be a very valuable Alfred McCullough-type guy uh, but I still think guys like Emil or have more talent and, of course, Deontay Brown. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it works out, uh, you know, in the spring or go at the end of the spring, into the fall, because I, I still think Owens would be considered, uh, you know, the favorite for the center spot. And then what, to me, uh, with Emil Echior, Deontay Brown, Matt Womack, guys like that, and uh, Evan Neal, it's going to be really interesting to see where those guard spots, how they come out. Because I'm going to tell you what, William, you watched Evan Neal on film, and when you see that young man, he is a man mountain. And when, and when if you can imagine a guy like Ekior who had the red shirt last year to get his weight under control, to me, if you have Emil Ekior at the on the right guard spot, and then Deontay Brown later in the season, and then Evan Neal at left guard, there's going to be a whole lot more power inside this year for this Alabama offensive line than last year when when, uh, when we all know Alex Leatherwood was a, a fish out of water playing in the wrong spot. Well, you know, that's the couple things that I've heard um, throughout the spring is uh, just how impressed everybody is with Kyle Flood as the new offensive line coach. He's uh, brought a new level of intensity, um, seems to be a stickler for the little things, the intangibles that go into being a, a great player. Um, I've, I've, you know, got got word from a current O-line starter that, that it's night and day versus the Brent Key era, and uh, you know I think that's a positive. You know, I, I wonder, you know, and it's it's this this week's kind of a waste um, as as they start getting ready for a day next Saturday. I wish almost Will's injury would have happened in the first scrimmage to where maybe they could have gotten Evan Neal some reps and maybe comfortable um, out there at the right tackle spot because I, I do think eventually that's going to be where his uh, home is, is is on the edge somewhere once he gets his weight under control and and, and the other thing um, you know we discussed this last fall um, especially after he committed but um, he's got to get bigger and got to get his weight up but Kyle Flood feels like that the steal of that O-line class is, is Darian Dalcor thinks he's going to mm-hmm. be a stud down the road yeah and he's number 71 and I've seen him he's been getting some reps at center no doubt about it I think he has a bright future I think they like Owens right now due to his intelligence and being in the program. So, and I think he'll even – and then Ross Piercebaker was a great player for Alabama, a really good player for four years, but he was more of a technician. I think Owens has more power than Ross. This is going to be a more powerful offensive line. I think they've been running the football really well in practice. Of course, you know what that means. That also means Alabama's been having trouble stopping the run, which means meltdowns from Nick Saban because he can't stand being soft against the run. I mean – uh, I was uh, talking to our good friend Rodney Orr or, or texting with him yesterday 
Uh, and uh, as I said uh, during one of the plays, it didn't. I, I don't necessarily know if it was a middle linebacker mistake, but uh, there was a throw in the out. You know, a short, quick out to uh, Jalen Waddle. There was a missed tackle, and of course, it was a meltdown by Saban because Waddle scored after the catch. So, and after the missed tackle, which looked like it was out in the secondary, but. You know, the thing about it is, is that, uh, you know, I think overall the offense has got a chance to be a lead. I think Najee's had a really good spring. Saban's really confident in Brian Robinson. And now with Jerome Ford and his development, certainly Trey Sanders can come in and he and Keelan Robinson and provide more depth. But I think they've got three really solid backs. Another good thing about Jerome Ford is he's been catching the football really well. I think now because of some of this inexperience at the linebacker spot, they hadn't exactly been doing a great job of, you know, covering the backs out in the flats, which has drawn the ire of Nick Saban. But I think it's been good to see Jerome Ford showcase some of the ability that, uh, you know, I know Burton Burns was very high on him, thought he was a very fast guy with a lot of potential when they signed him. So that's the one, you know, good part about it. Certainly the defense needs to still mature and get better, but this offense looks like it's still going to be elite. Uh, certainly they don't have an Irv Smith on the team, but I think Miller Forrestall can be better than serviceable at tight end. Kedrick James, I know Nick Saban's very high on him. We still haven't seen enough of him because of his inconsistencies and his issues off the field. If he can, let's just be blunt, if he can get his shit together, we may see that the guy can play. But until he does, he's like the great unknown. And so you don't really know what you've got. Exactly. So could he be a potentially, uh, after the first month, an impact guy? Absolutely. But right now you have to count on Miller Forrestall. Giles Amos has been a revelation, uh, you know, and, and as a walk-on, he could add his name to others, you know, that have been uh, quality walk-ons that became factors for the University of Alabama, especially under Nick Saban, like a Levi Wallace. And like uh, and Thomas Watts, I know you're listening to the conversation I, I, I'm forgive me because his name has completely his last name has completely slipped my mind. He reminds me a lot of that walk-on fullback tight end Alabama had in 2012 that helped the Tide win the national championship. Who came out of nowhere to beat out some scholarship guys and have a very solid senior season as a blocker and really help Alabama uh, win that back-to-back championship following the 2011 one. But I believe the kid was from North Carolina. Hey Drew, let me do this before I'm gonna let you finish up with Thomas tonight, and I'm gonna I'm gonna jump off before it gets uh, any later, and try and hook up with a couple of my high school buddies that are at the coaching clinic. Right, um, no problem. I don't know I don't know if y'all want to do it next Sunday. I'm good for next Sunday if y'all want to do an eight day spring you know practice wrap sure. up, and I'll have uh, I'll have all these you know inside notes from these guys, and we can we can talk about it then. Yeah, no problem. We can do that, and I can get Thomas's thoughts. Uh, yeah, well, y'all finish it up, and I'm going to go try and get in touch with a couple of these guys. All right, man. Thanks, William. Appreciate it. Thank but, y'all. Uh, yes, sir. Thank yep. you. And, uh, yeah, but, uh, Thomas, we were talking about that, and uh, I, I was trying to remember the young man's name because it had totally I, – I, I can – you know, it had slipped are my you, mind. Are you thinking Jalston Fowler? No, no, no. Oh, this was a okay. former walk-on. Jalston was a scholarship player. Yeah, that, that's why I'm trying to narrow it down. The 2012 roster, you've kind of put yeah. me on the spot, but I'll yeah, see I mean, what I can I, do. I mean, I, I was I was just trying to figure out, you know, uh, you know his last name because, uh, but he he uh, he was a guy that um, that just came out of nowhere. I remember seeing him in the in in, in that spring, and um, when he and then he, he carved out a role for himself. 
and Giles Amos has kind of reminded me of the same th- uh, of the same kind of guy, and he could end up, you know, doing that. I mean, Nick Saban was asked about him, of course, after the Red Elephant Club uh, scrimmage, and he was very complimentary of him. Said, you know, he's a guy that had hung in there, and you know, and and really, you know, tried to uh, uh, really. Um, uh, you know, and become a good player and, and, and persevered because it's very difficult uh, when you're a walk on. Uh, but I was trying to, uh, I just remember, you know, he, the, the uh, oh, I, it was Kelly Johnson. Kelly Johnson. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I was looking. Yeah. I just he would have been an H back, wouldn't he? he I think. He, yeah, he was an H back fullback and he did a really good job blocking. And, you know, he got in with, you know, he was on the first team and, especially when they were on the goal line and trying to run the football. And he was a valuable role player. Uh, and Kelly Johnson, you know, that, uh, Giles Amos reminds me a lot of him. I mean, he just, he really does. Uh, and I think he's a guy that, as a senior, he's number 40 on your roster. So when you're going to lo- be looking at him for A-Day, don't be surprised if you see him quite a bit. He was with the ones yesterday at fullback and at some at tight end when they were going in multi multi tight end sets. He caught a touchdown pass the week before Thomas, but and trust me, everybody was grabbing their roster sheets. Nobody knew who he <laughs> who was. Who is this guy? <laughs> but he's uh, he's a guy that's just been grinding and gotten an opportunity. And again, they don't have a lot of experience depth. That's why they wanted Irv to come back. But Irv right. went pro, and it, it looks like Irv made the right decision. The more you hear about it, the more it sounds like. You know, he's going to be a guy that could go in the latter part of the first round. So if he's a first-round pick, he certainly made the right decision. Uh, but Giles Amos is a guy to watch. And those are always great stories, Thomas, because, I, you know, throughout Nick Saban's tenure, he's had some walk-on guys that became valuable players. Uh, you know, they had uh, another you know, that, that former Gardendale DB that was a, a stalwart on special teams last year. He always has some guys that, even though – this roster is loaded with four and five star talent that they still, uh, you know, attract quality walk-ons and find a way to uh, to develop get guys develop a role on the team and can still, you know, and I think that's what makes Alabama's football program great because you can't have all superstars. You still got to have some role players who just enjoy wearing the jersey and help you win. And you know, Giles Amos could be one of those guys. It. From what you say, and I haven't had a chance to attend either of the scrimmages. I've had a lot going on down here. But everybody likes a rags-to-riches story, and you're absolutely correct. You know, what do we say? I think if we say it much more in BAM's radio, it will be, you know, one of our catchphrases. The special teams, four and five stars, are previews of next go-around superstars. But if you just take that special team's contribution, you know, that's not a huge deal, but it's a necessary thing. So and Alabama fans aren't immune to the rags to riches story. And it does sort of underscore the idea. And it sort of in, middle, in a lot of ways, it doesn't just sort of it actually does completely justify what Nick Saban says. Essentially saying, keep your head down, trust the process, do what you've got to do to put yourself in the best position you can put yourself in to be a contributor to the football team. And if you do that for long enough, something is going to break your way. That's what it sounds like to me from what you're describing, Drew. Have I mischaracterized what you're talking about? No, no. I mean, I just think, well, and it takes some luck, too. 
because if if Irv Smith had come back, you know, we, we you know we probably don't even see much of Giles Amos. He might have got some time with the twos and the threes, but he wouldn't be getting time with the ones, and that's how you catch attention, uh, you know. And I and and then he wouldn't have been asked by Nick Saban, and uh, you know, but by the you know the the fans uh, and the media, you know, asking Coach Saban about him. So again, it, it's a good story, and uh, it's one that uh, it this seems to happen every year or every couple of years under coach uh, in the program. And I, and so it's one of the, you know, the, the cool things. And of course, being at the scrimmage yesterday, I had a chance to, uh, you know, run into his parents. It was, it was just, uh, you know, faith and luck. When you see somebody with a, with, when you see a lady with a 40 Jersey on with Amos on the back, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's gotta be the mother. And then the father came walking up with her. And so I was able to catch up with them and, you know, and quite frankly, he's from Perry, Georgia, Westfield High School. It'd be another way to shove something up Kirby Freeze. I mean, smarts ass uh, to develop a guy like that who decided to come to Alabama and not stay in state and play for the University well, of Georgia well, and maybe let's actually be real. win a championship. Let's be real, though. Kirby Smart's so busy having half his players arrested that Mark Richt has still lost control of the Georgia Bulldogs well, football when you, program. When you have maybe the highest payroll in all of NCAA football, <laughs> and, and uh and honestly and if you've and when you've promised everybody the moon and the stars that's what happens you can't continue to lie and bullshit people uh because your program's gonna you know uh run you know be out of control so that's his problem well i don't i think alabama certainly didn't have everybody on the same page last year uh you know we've heard all the stories and heard some new ones uh this was a team a, a year ago at alabama that i think had some guys that were more individualistic and had more individual type goals in mind instead of the team concept. And that's fine. It happens. And so you move on and you try to re, you know, establish your culture. I think Alabama's doing that with the Bama factor. And I think that's what they're doing right now with the program. And I certainly think they're putting some pieces in place, but the one good part is they've still got to keep working. I mean, like I said, I mean, I think they're going to be a lead on offense. I think they're going to be very, very good in the kicking game. Defensively, right now they're not elite, and I know they want to be. Nick Saban, he's not going to tolerate mediocrity on defense, so uh, they're going to have to get better or get gone. And I definitely think they can still make some strides, uh, but it's going to be interesting to see going forward if they do try to attract a grad transfer, middle linebacker, and how much better some of these kids can get that are in the program now. Again, they've got a whole summer to get better uh, and get in the weight room and. Perhaps Ale Keho has worked his way through his issues uh, and can be someone. Because much like, you know, well, and, and then one name we didn't bring up who had all kind of talent. And, and honest to goodness, if he hadn't had a 10-cent freaking brain, would probably be the weak side linebacker right now based on what you saw in practice was Vandarius Cowan. We hadn't even really talked about him today. He got kicked off the team last year. And it's now at West Virginia, burning couches and no telling, doing what else. But he's a guy that had a lot of talent and, you know, was had first round ability. I know Jeremy Pruitt thought he did. And he would probably have been the guy to take over for Mac Wilson. But he just could never, you know, get in the coach's good graces long enough. So hopefully Ale Keho is not going to go down that road. Hopefully he's going to, you know, continue to get through his issues and establish himself because we saw enough out from him, Thomas, last year as a special team standout. He has the talent. He may hold the key to how good this team can be uh, to win a national championship, how much he improves in this offseason if they decide not to get a graduate transfer. 
And, and that's certainly something that we'll keep an eye on for the show. And, and you know, like I said, I didn't get a chance to see the scrimmages and how he looks for a day will be a thing. But I have to somewhat, or I guess, pose a question. How big a deal do you look at the fact that the offense will be different? You, know, you mentioned Steve Sarkeesian, very different, not so much the RPO game, more whole field reads, more, call it West Coast principles, even though, you know, certain bits of the West Coast offense have evolved into this RPO insanity that we see throughout college football. You know, how much we talk, we know about Tua. Uh, I read some stuff about Najee Harris has really come into his own as the number one alpha dog. Uh, and we know how good the wide receiver group is. With an elite offense, much like last year, does the defense have some time to kind of take their lumps and struggle a little bit you know where do you see this team and i realize we're what you know middle of early part of uh early part of the spring still you know where do you see this team projecting forward is the offense good enough and this is kind of a softball for you is the offense good enough to get the defense out of a jam at least going into call it lsu coming to town um i'm not as wild about texas a&m i think texas a&m is going to be in a funky transition point well, I mean, yes, but Nick Saban will go bananas. I mean, he already didn't think they were sound enough defensively for most of last season, so he wants to see a much better product starting from game one this next year. Uh, but it still may be a work in progress because of so many young players, but I think he's going to try to, you know, really put, turn up the heat and hope that this last week in practice and then A-Day going into the fall and the summer he wants to have a lot of guys grinding and getting better, uh, you know. I, but I do think yes, this offense, much like a season ago, I do think it will be different. Uh, I, I think they'll still run some RPO stuff. Don't get me wrong, uh, but I think they're going to run more timing routes from the standpoint of quick outs, things of that nature. Uh, some bootlegs, get to a tongue bailoa outside the pocket, uh, you know, and then and then take some vertical shots down the field. They certainly took some last year. Uh, though those are more timing routes. I think we may, you know, see more posts and, and things of that nature and deep shots uh, and, and attacking the middle of the field. At times, Alabama didn't attack the middle of the field, Thomas. I think they'll do that with Tua Tungvaloa. Uh, I think there'll be more downhill running uh, with Steve Sarkeesian because Sark, when he was at USC and then at Washington, he was known for running the football. Everybody wants to th- think of some wide-ass open offense and they did nothing but throw, but He's actually known for running the ball now. And I think uh, with this offensive line and the progress it's made with Kyle Flood, I think the Alabama is going to run the football. I think they, I think Nick Saban thought they lost physicality last year. I was, it's what I went back to earlier in the conversation with what the, oh, those offensive line combinations with what we've seen with the Evan Neals and the, and uh, the, uh, and the Emil Ekiors, even Matt Womack, who is a six foot six, 300 pounder. They want to be more powerful on the interior. They were too finesse last year, and I think they want to be able to run the football inside the tackles uh, and run it downhill, and I think they think that play action will help Tua Tungvaloa. It'll help him hopefully take less hits. He needs to make more quote-unquote business decisions. If he does take off and use his legs, get out of bounds, slide. But I think, uh, of course, they want him to stay healthier, 
and I think uh, also uh, they want and they want to can you know and I, they are very explosive offense and they still will be, but I think they want to you know maybe have maybe some more time consuming drives and get back to making people's ass quit and you know physically manhandling some people and I would look for that wouldn't surprise me at all with this offense under Steve Sarkeesian. Again, more running between the tackles because you look at the style of back, too. I mean, Josh Jacobs was a very physical guy last year. Damian Harris, uh, he was a really good back. Uh, he, but he was more at times an outside runner. I didn't think he was as good an inside runner. But these two guys they've got now, they are 225, 230 pounds. Najee Harris uh, and also Brian Robinson, they're physical guys. And you get a change of pace with Jerome, with Jerome Ford, which I think fits well. But to me, I look for to see Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, he's going to get the tight ends involved as well, like Miller Forrestall, especially in the red zone. But I think Alabama is going to get back to pounding the ball because I think last year they were a little bit too wide open. And, I, and the, to be honest with you, it caught up with them against Clemson because you have to be able to run the football. At times they ran it against Clemson but they could never sustain it. And I think they want to be able to do that to teams this coming year. In other words, uh, you know, you're going to have uh, an explosive offense because of two in these wide receivers, but it, the, you know, the bread and butter of the offense needs to be the O-line and these running backs. And then you build a, a passing game, uh, you know, off of a physical running game and you want your, your, your backbone and your, and your signature to be being physical and running the football It'll be a different style. It's not going to be, you know, in 2008 Alabama. I'm not saying that, but I just think you you can spread it, but still run it. And I think that he that Nick Saban uh, trusts Steve Sarkeesian to do that. And I think that was one of the reasons why he was brought back to be the OC. And, and I, I don't disagree with any of that, but I want to I want to flip it to the other side. You know, you talked about, and obviously Nick Saban will have an aneurysm should the defense not come to pass. One of the things that I know we talked about on this show, uh, we've spoken privately, and if you you know even stuck your head up for Alabama football over the past you know four and a half months or so, was quite frankly some of the coaching deficiency coming out of last year's team. Specifically, the team sort of I don't want to say folding because that's not fair, but let's call it a sense of disquiet that sort of radiated from this team, particularly on the defensive side of the ball in a lot of cases. Obviously we've only been through, you know, two thirds of the spring. So early, but my question to you is what are the early returns? I know you talked about Sal Sanceri really, you know, kind of putting boots to butts when it comes to Iabe and Oma and getting, getting that light to come on. You know, what are you seeing from both your time, either viewing a scrimmage or talking to people that have viewed scrimmages, as well as folks that are very well connected <sighs> to the program in terms of particularly defensive staff changes and how they're, you know, kind of folding in the Alabama factor, but also trying to get the defense back to the point where both Nick Saban and the Alabama fan base wants it to be? Well, I think the biggest deficiency with the staff last year, quite frankly, uh, certainly, I, I you know I think Mike Loxley did a pretty good job as OC. I mean, there were some that were down on him and didn't think he was a great play caller. But again, Alabama was very productive on offense. Uh, I think Mike Loxley they had to kind of mask some deficiencies. I think the the two biggest deficiencies for Alabama last year were offensive and defensive line coaching. I don't think they was worth a shit in either area, and I think that's why Brent Key got his ash processed over to his alma mater at Georgia Tech. And that's why Craig Kuliakowski is being paid to sit on sit at home, because he didn't he did not handle 
uh, the defensive line room well at all. Raquan Davis went from a projected top 20 pick to shit Creek and ended up uh, not having a, you know, a great year. It was just very average and he has a lot of talent. So it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, if Brian Baker can get more out of him, uh, you know, certainly I, nobody understood why LeBron Ray didn't play more. Uh, and then of course, uh, you know, then, and then, uh, and then uh, Quinnen Williams became an all American uh, but still, that's pretty much the only feather in Craig Kuliagowski's, you know, hat. I mean, Fedarian Mathis certainly had some moments, but he just didn't. And then Isaiah Bugs had a solid senior season, but I still don't think overall uh, that he was able to get enough out of the talent that he had in front of him, you know, because they should have been better. Raquan Davis should have been a first-round type guy, and, and Isaiah Bugs probably should have been more consistent. Of course, he got hurt toward the end of his senior year, too. But I just don't think game in and game out, the defensive line was consistent enough, and especially down the stretch of last season, uh, you know, after the LSU game. And I think that's when Alabama seasons are always defined because that's the championship run, and that's why uh, you saw changes on both those, uh, with both those, uh, you know, positions. Now, I think Sal Sanceri, I certainly think Tosh Lupoy did a good job coaching Alabama's outside linebackers during his tenure there. But when he had to take on the added responsibility of being the off, the defensive coordinator, it was over his head. He just was not very good at it. Uh, certainly, Pete Golding ended up taking over, I think, after the first month. And, you know, Tosh Lupoy was not going to accept a permanent demotion. That's not the way it works uh, in the college coaching profession. So Nick Saban helped him move on to the National Football League and coach defensive line. So he did a good job at Alabama, a really great job recruiting. Good luck to, to Tosh. I uh, appreciate all his contributions, but it was time for him to move on. He's not a defensive coordinator. He's basically a younger Sal Sanceri. But now you bring back Sal. He's an experienced guy. He's been on the in, on the NFL level and Alabama. He's been at Alabama and Florida, some big-time Power 5 college football. He's completely comfortable in his own skin now. He knows he's not a D.C. He's, a D, you know, he's an outside linebacker's defensive line coach. He's been very productive getting guys to the NFL and then also coaching guys in the NFL. And now he's got the added security blanket of both his sons being with him. You know, Vinny Sanceri helping the secondary, uh, Tino Sanceri being an offensive assistant. So, and, and then Sal, again, he's a no-bullshit type guy. I mean, he's a, he's a fundamental coach. He demands a lot out of his players. Oh, you millennials, let's not, you know, try to get him fired because he confronts a player and curses at him. But sorry, that's what coaching has to be sometimes. And I think Sal Sanceri is going to be very valuable to Alabama. He's already starting to get a guy like a Yabi Anoma to really pay attention to detail. And I think can he, he has a lot of special talent. I'm really anxious to see what he can do with Terrell Lewis once Terrell gets back in the fall. So I think that, you know, in a, in, from a coaching standpoint, I think that was an upgrade uh, because certainly Tosh was in a difficult place not being able to be the D.C. Uh, to me, the pressure point is still Pete Golding. How good a D.C. is he? But see, Nick Saban stuck his neck out because he, Pete Golding could have gone to Ole Miss or Oklahoma. He did not. Nick Saban told him to stay. Feels like he's another you know, guy in the mold of a Kirby Smart and a Jeremy Pruitt, and we'll see if he is. Uh, certainly the middle linebacker struggled some last year, but it was the first full year starting for Dylan Moses. And then Mac Wilson, my goodness, he had so – sometimes the, the Trey DePriest thing repeats itself. Remember, Trey DePriest was a middle linebacker that – did, 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 you know, seemed to struggle part of his senior year and never produced like people thought he should. And that was a guy Kirby Smart coached. And we know Kirby, even though he's a turd as a head coach, 
did a really good job at Alabama. So sometimes it's the talent that you're given. And Mac Wilson just had his own agenda. So to me, uh, he was never going to change his stripes. So that was addition by subtraction. So now Pete Golding's job is to get, you know, Dylan Moses ready and then to find that Will linebacker to play beside him. Can he do it by the fall? We'll see. But he's the one that's on the clock. And he, ha- he had great success at UT San Antonio, but that ain't Alabama. So uh, that, that's why I think, you know, Pete Golding is the one to really watch. I think South Sunseri is an upgrade. And I think bringing in Charles Kelly to coach the safeties and help Pete Golding will be a valuable resource because I think Charles Kelly is very experienced as D.C. at Florida State. He's a good recruiter. Uh, and, and then, of course, I think now having five defensive coaches plus Nick Saban is going to help Alabama. But I think the big thing is you're just going to have to see how some of these guys mature in this offseason and how Pete Golding handles some things. Because if Pete Golding is elite, and I know a lot of schools thought he was coming out of UT San Antonio, then Alabama's going to be just fine. It's just right now there's just so many young players that need to come along. But you made a great point. Alabama's going to be able to score points. I think you know Kyle Flood's an improvement at offensive line. Hell, he has to be. And I'm hearing really good things about that. And I think Sark, while he wasn't a sexy hire, like a Chip Long from Notre Dame, I think he's a very solid one that Nick Saban's very comfortable with. And then Holman Wiggins at wide receiver. I know Josh Gaddis did a good job technically coaching guys, but I think you know he didn't want to stay at Alabama. He wanted to be an OC. I don't think Nick Saban thought he was ready for that. But Holman Wiggins, they he, they did a good. He did an underrated job at Virginia Tech. They were very productive there. I think you know that's going to be a wash to me. I mean, I Gaddis supposedly was an elite recruiter. I mean, he certainly helped get Antonio Alfano, but I think the jury's kind of still out on as far as how good a recruiter he was. So I don't think Alabama lost much bringing in Holman Wiggins. So I think the staff overall is better, and I think Nick Saban is much more comfortable with it. It's just the fact that you're going to have to now with so many guys leaving early, and Nick Saban made point of that uh, yesterday when he talked about guys leaving early and made a point to point out he thought Ronnie Harrison left too early despite the fact he became a starter with the Jacksonville Jaguars, is that you're just going to have to get guys more on a fast track to getting ready to play. Uh, Alabama had missed on defensive linemen the last couple of classes, and so they were able to load up this past, uh, you know, this past signing class in 2018. Uh, and, and I think it's going to be, uh, you know, or excuse me, the 2019 class. And I think it's going to be a great group. It's going to re, uh, you know, furbish the defensive line room. But now this coming year, it's going to be out inside and outside backer. They're going to have to really load up because in the last couple of classes, they've missed on some guys both uh, in the middle and on the edge that could have helped Alabama. So, uh, but again, I think that, you know, those things can be, uh, you know, shored up, but I think uh, that those are, so the, those are some questions, but the good part is this Alabama team is not a finished product. So it's going to give Nick Saban plenty of ammunition and plenty of motivation to put a foot up some ass going into the summer and get this team ready to play. I mean, last year's group, you felt pretty good about where they were coming out of spring practice uh, in pretty much every position. This year, there are some questions, plus the motivation of what you've talked about, the Clemson Tigers being everybody's darling, so Alabama can go to work and be a, you know get that hunger back to reclaim the top spot in college football. And... and- yeah, uh, I've had many a rant about the Clemson Tigers and all of that, and I don't, I don't want to 
let's just say I don't want to repave something I've repaved three or four times, but <laughs> um, this is what happens when you have four potential first-round draft picks come back on your defensive line. That That's all I'm going to say. But, you know, we're getting close to being done for the show, Drew, so I have one more, you know, I realized that you had been hosting with William, and now I kind of took over the hosting for you because I had some questions. So, you know, to wrap it up, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold you down on something, and, uh, you know, if you change your mind later, I'm not going to begrudge you for it. But uh, who do you think your offensive and defensive MVPs for the A-Day game are going to be this huh. next week? That's so difficult because you never know, but... I mean, quite frankly, I mean, I, last year it was Mac Jones, whoever would have thought that, but Mac Jones was MVP, but I wouldn't be surprised if somebody on offense like Jerome Ford won it because Jerome has caught the ball quite well, run it quite well, and they know what they've got with Najee Harris and Brian Robinson. I think Jerome will get, you know, the, the bulk of the carries there along with uh, Chadarius Townsend, who's now moved to running back Thomas. Now, I don't know if Chadarius will – be at running back by the time the fall comes, but they needed some extra depth there. Jadarius actually had a couple touchdowns yesterday. He's an explosive athlete. He's just been behind a lot of talent. But my my offensive MVP, I guess, pick would be a Jerome Ford. I think he has a chance as a runner and receiver to put up some big-time numbers. And then defensively, that's very interesting. Um, uh, It's always, I think, because, you know, we may see him throw the football quite a bit with Mac Jones and some of the younger quarterbacks, and even Tua Tungavailoa, I would probably, you know, have to go with a guy like Jared Maiden, who I think has had a, a breakout spring. Uh, what you know, if he has a chance to make a play and maybe get a pick or uh, return one for a touchdown, I think a guy like Jared Maiden, who's had a really good spring, uh, but who's somebody that's maybe a little bit off the radar because you know your Sertains and are coming back, and your Xavier McKinney's and and uh, and uh, even uh, and it's Shyam Carter, but Shyam, of course, coming back with a black jersey on, and he's uh, I think had uh, surgery for a uh, sports hernia. But you know, you, he's a really good player. So, uh, but I, I think a guy like Jared Maiden would be somebody I'd watch, or a Joshua Job, uh, who is trying to win a job as a, the other corner for Alabama, because they could end up moving Trevon Diggs inside. But it still gives Alabama a lot of versatility. But I guess if I had to choose them, I would go with Jerome Ford at running back and. Uh, and and Jared Maiden at DB because I think both those guys have had very solid springs and are trying to carve out roles for the fall, find some talented players. But we know Alabama plays multiple running backs, and Jerome Ford could also have an impact as a kickoff returner. That that's very true. And just to wrap up, uh, and then you can get us out of here, Drew. I actually think Xavier McKinney could be the 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 MVP. Um, McKinney has really he was coming on last year. I thought he had a great year. And he, even since he was a true freshman running, you know, with the lower teams, he obviously had a lot of ability even a couple of years ago. This is, he's kind of the old man. He, he's the old man in the secondary. And with the fact that I think the offense is going to want to spray the ball around the yard a lot, you know, a, a tipped pass here, a ball hawk thing here, et cetera, et cetera. I could see him having a big A day. And then on offense, you know, this is actually a tough one. I think the Mac Jones point is very well said from last year. I would actually look for a second team running back and or a second team wide receiver because as you've said, Alabama is a work in progress. I think the first team 
defensive group has a lot of star power and a lot of people that are going to be really, really good players in about six months. But I don't know if the secondary, the, the, the second team, not the secondary, if the second team defensive depth is there yet, particularly with a lot of the pass rush specialists either injured or, you know, we're not, Alabama's not really going to blitz as much for this sort of thing. So I would look at like the second team quarterback, whether it's a Mac Jones or a Talia Tonga Vailoa or a second team running back. Like I can tell you when the rosters come out, if for some crazy ass reason, Brian Robinson gets put to the second team, whether it's crimson or white, he's my runaway pick, but it remains to be seen. Uh, obviously this will be most fans first shot to see the new, the most current up-to-date iteration of the Alabama football team this upcoming weekend. Uh, one thing that I'm sure the broadcast will make a point about and something I want to make a point about here is this is not close to a final product. There are, I believe anywhere from 12 to 15 drill have to check my numbers players still set to enroll, including well, five-star running back, Trey Sanders. 12, I think. Yeah. I think it's three okay. offense and nine defense. So, and Saban has made uh, you know a point to talk about those guys coming in that could help the team. So they're and they're going to compete. So yeah, and that doesn't even take into account like what we've talked about that there could have there could be a, you know a, a graduate transfer or two added as well. So you know even though it's it's fair to be excited about what you see on Saturday and Lord knows I've already got I'm already defrosting a nice Boston butt, going to smoke mm. it, get it ready for rocking and rolling because you know why not. But this isn't even close to the final product. Players have a chance to continue to work out in the summer and get more familiar. And you've got, what, if it's an 85-man roster, you have 15 people joining. 15 out of 85, I'm doing fast math, so don't yell at me on Twitter. That's one-sixth of the team is going to change or new new faces over the next four months. Yeah. So there's a lot more going into this, but it's certainly okay to both be a little bit concerned, but excited about what you'll see next Saturday. And we will be back the next Sunday to talk about what, you know, William drew drew and drew you and I see from this upcoming scrimmage. So a lot of stuff to look forward to. If you're an Alabama fan over the next week or so. Well, yeah, William will watch the a day game. Then he'll get some Intel from his high school coaching friends. Cause a lot of times he goes to the coaching clinic scrimmage. He did not this time due to that family situation, so we understand that. So he'll be a little bit more up to speed and have even more opinion on what he's, uh, you know, uh, what he's what he's seen and heard. Uh, he, you know, he, he had some really good observations tonight, but he'll have even sure. more next week. And and certainly I'll be able, I'll be covering A-Day for 97.7 The Zone, and I'm, you'll be watching. So we'll all have some great conversation coming up on BAMS Radio, no doubt, and uh, really excited about that. And uh, and just to, 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 to wrap it up, we're also really excited about Nate Oates, the new uh, Alabama basketball coach. I've had a chance to meet him and uh, and, and talk with him. You know, he's, he's heavily influenced by one of my favorite people in the business, Tom Izzo, who unfortunately uh, lost last night to Texas Tech and Chris Beard, another one of the rising coaching stars in college basketball. But I think Coach Nate Oates is finally going to be uh, a guy that can lay a foundation of that Alabama. They've had such trouble doing that since Wimp Sanderson. Uh, you know, unceremoniously uh, left the Crimson Tide program. Uh, they've had, you know, Mark Godfrey had some good years, but couldn't keep it, uh, you know, uh, on the straight and narrow and uh, and then keep it uh, rolling consistently due to the fact that he was uh, almost jealous of football. Uh, and then, of course, Anthony Grant and Avery Johnson weren't good fits. Anthony Grant, 
you know, the sandpaper personality, uh, certainly a college coach, but uh, just, you know, did not endear himself to the fans and could not recruit. And then Avery Johnson could recruit. Great guy. One of the best I've ever had a chance to cover, but just was an NBA guy. Didn't understand how to build the culture of a successful college program. And it all came, you know, apart this year for him, unfortunately. Now going back, I think, to the NBA where he's more comfortable. Uh, But I think Nate Oates is a true college coach. He wants to build a special culture. He sees Alabama as a destination job. I think he's going to be well paid here. And the fact that people will be just patient with him, I think, you know, he has a chance to build something special. He's already done a great job getting John Petty back into the fold. I still think there's a great chance he's going to get Kyra Lewis to stay and then add a piece or two. He's already got Raymond Hawkins, a a big center that Alabama had not signed any bigs in their early, you know, after signing three perimeter players in the early signing period. I think Coach Oates has already gotten uh, those three guys they signed early, Jawan Gary, uh, Jalen Forbes, and Jaden Shackelford back into the fold. Now, Jawan Gary has still got some academic work to do. Hopefully he will qualify, even if it's late this summer. So hopefully, you know, uh, they've got workouts going on right now, which I know have been eye-opening because, quite frankly, Alabama didn't know how to practice under Avery Johnson. But I still think this could even be a NCAA tournament team in year one if everything falls right for NATO, which would be huge coming off of uh, what uh, Bruce Pearl has done at Auburn. They get to the Final Four, and the basketball gods rightly, uh, in my opinion, after what happened in round one, uh, come back to bite them in the ass. They do not beat uh, a, a very good Virginia team, losing 63-62, heartbreaking fashion, but still, uh, you know, that that's the break sometimes in basketball. But, you know, Auburn is able to reach the Final Four, and I think that kicked Alabama in the ass. It made Greg Byrne make a move. Uh, and I think Alabama realizes that, you know, you're going to get left behind if you don't do something. Uh, and Nate Oates can hopefully try to finally get this program on solid ground and be able to compete with Auburn because this is only going to help their profile. And depending what happens with this FBI investigation, you know, I don't even think most Auburn people even really care. They just want they don't care what Pearl does as long as he wins. And so they just want him to be there to to, uh, you know, continue to build a solid program. So Alabama needed to carry their weight. And I think. They got it with. I think they've got it right with Nate Oates. I think it's a. It's it was an outstanding hire by Greg Byrne, and he was able to get it done pretty early because that way, uh, the, you know, with the coaching landscape out there and the carousel, he would have had interest from other schools, but he was able to lock up Nate Oates, and he's got his coaching staff and, uh, you know, now in place with Charlie Henry, his former aide in high school, coming over from the, the Chicago Bulls after working for Fred Hoiberg with the uh, Iowa State program, and then with the Chicago Bulls, and then he brought Brian Hodgson with him, his uh, lead recruiter from Buffalo, uh, and also Adam Bauman, his director of basketball ops. And then he was able to, uh, you know, retain Antoine Petway, which is not surprising. They needed somebody with Alabama and Southeast ties. So it looks like there's some bright days ahead for Alabama basketball uh, and with the the football program as well. So, uh, you know, it's going to be fun going into the fall with a new basketball coach in tow and then with Nick Saban, uh, and we've all seen what he's done in, in the in the years when Alabama had some adversity uh, in 2010. After a national championship, they came back and won two in a row. And then when they they hit a little bit of a speed bump in 2013 and 14, they won it all in 15 and 17, and nearly did in 16. So he always knows how to get things straightened back out because that's that's why he's going to go down as the greatest of all time. And I think. As his time at Alabama winds down in the next few seasons, I think he believes they have one more run left in them, which would 
be far and away the greatest in the history of this sport. And I think if you're if you're an Alabama fan, as you said, Thomas, you got to be really excited about the future. But want to thank everybody for joining us. It was a little bit of a longer episode tonight, but we hadn't been with you in about a month. Uh, we want to thank William Barger for being in part of the episode. Uh, we want to thank Thomas the Wizard Watts for joining us this last part and also doing the great job of producing he does. I'm Drew DeArmond. We appreciate everybody for listening. We know they've been jonesing and waiting for us to have you know a couple of scrimmage recaps uh, because of the, these two scrimmages that are in the books. But what we'll tell you is, to summarize, this Alabama football team is going to be elite on offense. They've got a chance to be every bit as good as last year but I think be more productive in the red zone, which is what they need, and, and be more physical, which is, I think, what every Alabama football fan would like to see. Defensively, still a work in progress. The pieces are there, at least most of them, it looks like. Uh, there could potentially need to be another piece added. We'll see. Uh, but, uh, but, of course, some, some young players could definitely mature in this offseason, but the P, they have a lot of pieces in place. And I think a, a coaching staff that, that Nick Saban's much more confident in. So they've still got a ways to go to be elite defensively, but it's still possible. And it looks like the kicking game is going to be better as well with the addition of Will Reichert and hopefully a more mature Skyler DeLong. But this, it's, it's, uh, they're in a good place heading into this last week of spring practice. And next week we'll have a full breakdown of A-Day and then our observations going into the offseason. And then, of course, periodically you will hear from us throughout the offseason uh, for BAMS Radio until we're back on a weekly basis during uh, football season once practice starts in the fall. But uh, we want to thank everybody for joining us. We know our listenership's been really growing, and that's a big uh, credit to Thomas and all his work he's done. And then, of course, William and I for joining each week. But Thomas does so much work behind the scenes. But we want to thank everybody. We hope you enjoyed this uh, episode of BAMS Radio, and we'll come to you next Sunday following A-Day before Nick Saban's 13th season at the Capstone. Good night, everybody, and roll tide.